Hi, friend. You are listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, a podcast created especially for someone who's not sure about relationship with Jesus Christ. My name is Janelle Wood, and while I have a background in counseling and ministry with women, the truth is I've been through my own seasons of questioning my faith. So if you've ever struggled with not being sure where you belong, or you felt like you were faking faith, or maybe a friend just shared this episode with you and you are feeling a little wounded or skeptical of all things God-related right now, welcome. This podcast is just for you. Finding Something Real is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. My passion is Jesus Christ, and for me now, After having been through some real ups and downs on my own faith journey, I believe Christ is the hope and the answer to this world more than ever. But don't take my word for it. Listen to my friends as they share their own grace-filled journeys with you. My prayer is that if you haven't already, you'll find something real too. Well, friend, welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is your host, Janelle Wood. And I am so glad that you're listening today. Uh, We are introducing this month's co-host, and I'm so excited for you to meet her. Um, As you may know, every month on this podcast, I introduce a different co-host. At the beginning of the month, she shares her faith story and faith questions. And then together throughout the month, we go on a bit of a journey where we invite Christian guests on to um, share their personal stories as well. Um, and also sometimes answer some of the questions that my co-host brought up at the beginning of the month. I'm loving this format, and also every month at the very end of the month, I have a follow-up conversation with my co-host where we talk about what impact, if any, this co-hosting experience had on her. Um, That is a special episode for Patreon supporters, and if you're not familiar with Patreon or how you could support us there, Um, I encourage you to check that out by visiting my website at findingsomethingreal.com and clicking support at the top of the page. But friend, today, before we get going here, I wanted to um, just give a shout out to today's sponsor. Um, You've heard me talk about her before, but Laurel Denise creates meaningful handmade jewelry meant to encourage, inspire, and remind people of what they cherish most in life. The business is a small crew of women in Charlottesville, Virginia, just building on the dream that God gave the founder, Laurel, 15 years ago to create encouraging jewelry with her handwriting. They've become a gift company that answers the call for much more than a bracelet. Their mission is to be their real selves on the internet and provide meaningful gifts at a price people can afford. And as I've shared before, on a personal level, I'm very excited to talk about Laurel Denise's work because I love her jewelry and I wear a bracelet of hers quite often. Um, Her handmade leather bracelets are elegant and beautiful reminders of the things that I value. So I love sharing that with others. Um, So if you want to know more about Laurel Denise and her company, you can go ahead and check out her creations at laureldenise.com. But today, I have a new co-host friend. And uh, I'm excited for you to get to know her. Um, She's... uh, just a real sweetheart. And I'm excited to get to know her as well, because we don't know each other that well. Um, But Tasha, welcome to the podcast. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad you're here. So Latasha Hartley, but you go by Tasha with your friends, right? All right. Right. 
Okay. So it's okay if I call you Tasha? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Oh, please don't call me ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Makes me feel so old. <laughs> uh, you you can if you want. <laughs> yeah, you can call me Janelle. <laughs> um, so Tasha, uh, you and I have only talked once before. We've only talked once before. Yeah, it it was a great conversation too. Yeah. Well, our mutual friend put us in contact with um, each other, April Metzler. Um, I've been on her podcast before, and I know she's a good friend of yours. Yes, she she is. I I love her. Actually, she's helped me out a lot through my faith journey, and um, she uh, she's a singer and a songwriter, and she's on Apple Music. So I suggest listening to her. Um, yeah, her album is uh, Heartstrings. I think I didn't say it wrong. Um, yeah and our book check that out y'all yeah check it out um I'll put it on uh, the show notes as well linked to her stuff so Latasha I'm sorry Tasha um tell me a little bit more about you for whoever's listening um I I know a little bit about you but I don't want to spill the beans you share about who you are well right now in this season I'm a stay-at-home mom uh with two boys uh, Ronald and Donald, and I spend all my time taking care of them. I was going to say they're really little. So your youngest is just a month old. Is that right? Right. Wow. Right. And then your oldest is how old? A little over two and a half. He'll be three on January 1st. Okay. Wow. So you've got your hands full. <laughs> I've been in that stage before. It's really busy and exhausting. Um, oh, yeah. I'm outnumbered now. <laughs> yeah. And you're you're a little older than most of my co-hosts previously have been. So you're 30. But when I met with you, I was so captivated by your story and by your questions um, that I invited you to come on because I thought uh, people would really love to hear about you and also... Um, the questions that you have regarding faith and um, what God has done and what he's continuing to do. So if you would, would you mind sharing a little bit of your faith journey? Um, well, I always kind of knew that God existed whenever I was little. Um, and my mom would talk about God a lot and like read the Bible to me a little bit, but we didn't go to church actually. Uh we didn't start going to church until we moved to Oklahoma when I was like 11. Where are you from originally? I'm originally from Oklahoma, was born in Stillwater, but uh, my mom moved when I was two because she, she left my real dad. Um, uh, I mean, bio dad, however you want to say it. Um, and married my stepdad and moved to Georgia. Then we moved to Kentucky. And then she left my stepdad and we moved back to Oklahoma, the three of us, uh, my mom and my brother and me. And uh, anyways, whenever we moved here, we started going to church. And now I hadn't been in church very many times. So uh, the first church that I that she took us to um, was a Pentecostal church and it was, I would have to say, I kind of got scared <laughs> when people started uh, speaking in tongues and 
and crying and uh, just kind of freaking out. And I was like, what in the world is this? Like, I, I did not know what to think about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now I view it as like the only way to worship, you know? So when you started going to church there, um, did you, you continued to go then up until like now? Uh, kind of. Yeah. Uh, we continued to go to that church, but, uh, once I moved out, I quit going to church, uh, for the most part for many years, actually, until, until I was like, uh, yes, done with my, or almost done with my wild and crazy days. I started going back to church, uh, I know the Christian church was, which is a great church. I would suggest going. Um, if you live in that area, it's in, I know Oklahoma, uh, I started going there because my, uh, boyfriend's son was going there and I had to like start dropping him off at the church for his small group or whatever you call it for the kids. Um, and then I just started going like they, they had food there and they're like, Hey, come eat with us. And I was like, okay. And then I just started going every Wednesday night and Sunday morning. And then it got to where like, every time those doors were open, man, I was there. Hmm. Just, I, uh, I told God when I first started going though, I was like, okay, God, I'm going to start going to church, but I'm not changing. I'm not going to change what I'm doing. I'm not going to, I want to still do what I want to do. And, uh, he little did I know that you find yourself wanting to change. Actually, I didn't want to change at first. And then I found myself actually like heartbroken and like really wanting it, you know? So you mentioned your wild and crazy days. What happened between that age of 11 where you go to this church and people are worshiping and it feels kind of foreign and weird to um, going through a season of just doing whatever you wanted to do and then going back to church? Like, tell me a little bit more about that. Well, during that time, I didn't really... Uh, I'd gotten married at the age of 17 and me and my husband went to church a little bit and uh, then I had a miscarriage and then we ended up moving and I quit going to that church and then because uh, we moved away into a different town we like went and lived with his brother and we ended up separated and I ended up in the homeless shelter for a while. Um, then I got kicked out of the homeless shelter and ended up moving in with, uh, the manager at my first job at Taco Bueno. And there's whenever I started, I still didn't really go to church. Um, I might, I think I remember maybe going for like Easter with my mom to make her happy, uh, a few times, but for the most part, I didn't, I didn't go. Uh, I started doing drugs when I moved in, like started first, it was weed. And then it was, then I started just taking pills, like 
any pill I could get my hand, I'd take. Um, and uh, I did that for a while. And then I ended up meeting this, well, let me think here. I'm trying to remember all this stuff. Hold on. I ended up moving back in with my grandma or back in, or ended up moving back into grandma's house because that's where we lived when we first moved to Oklahoma. And at the age of like 19, almost 20. And uh, <sighs> grandma drug me to church every Sunday morning, every <laughs> Sunday evening. And, you know, of course I would go because I can't say no to that sweet little old lady. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't like, if I didn't feel like going and I would be like, no, you know, I would, I would just feel like crap for the rest of the day if I didn't go. So I just was like, all right, I'll just go ahead and go. <laughs> so I started going to church again with grandma for a little bit. Um, but when I was there, it was like, I always felt like I was condemned. Mm. You know, I was super nervous, couldn't really relax, didn't feel like, like I belonged there. It was like, the whole time the enemy was just like picking up my brain, telling me all this stuff, like, you know, you, you have no right to be here and stuff like that. Yeah. Was that before you, um, before your boyfriend with his son started going to a different church? Was that all before that? Yes. Yes. Okay. And um, what, I was just going to ask, what was your relationship with God during that whole time? That's a lot of trauma in a short amount of time. Um, you know, being homeless, uh, uh, relationships falling apart, drug use. Um, how, how, like personally, like your relationship with Jesus Christ, what was that like? To be honest, I can't really remember. Um, I don't really think that, I think I believed in him the whole time. Uh, but I didn't really go to church and I didn't really talk to God very much because I felt like he would, he was angry at me, um, for the way I was living. Um, but now I just know that that was, you know, just lies from the enemy. Yeah. So, um, when you started going to church and you wanted to be there all the time, was an instant, like, I'm not going to do drugs anymore. I'm going to live the straight and narrow kind of thing. Or uh, what happened? What happened? Well, honestly, I had, uh, let's back up here. I met this guy and then we were together for like almost two years. Then I broke up with him and then I started doing meth for a while after my stepdad died. Um, uh, I think that really affected me a lot. Like I wasn't on any drugs at the time when my stepdad died. And then uh, the guy that raised me, he, uh, yeah, after he died, I broke up with my boyfriend. Uh, and then he moved on to Inola and I stayed at my grandma's and uh started doing meth and i done it i went over to co-workers apartment and she had some and i tried it and i was like whoa i really like this and i just took off with it i didn't i didn't stop i didn't i know i things started to fall apart i started 
I didn't, I got to where I didn't care about anybody around me or their feelings or I went from this really responsible person to just not being responsible, not, you know, all I cared about was, was that drug and, and getting my next fix. And, uh, anyways, eventually I got afraid of going to jail because I got searched with a canine unit and luckily didn't go to jail that day, but I was like, God, please don't let me go to jail and I'll quit this. I will quit. (laughs) God, just don't let me go to jail. And, uh, anyways, I did it about a month longer after that. And then I decided to try to, my ex boyfriend got a hold of me and was like, look, just come up here, get clean. And, and then we'll talk, you know, we'll see what, what happens. I'm not asking you to be with me, but just come stay with me and get cleaned up at least. And so I did. And, uh, he had gotten custody of his son and, uh, was living with his parents at the time. And his mother is very religious and she was going to church and taking his son to church. Um, uh, I don't know about privacy policies or whatever, but I, I don't know if it's okay to say his name cause he's still a minor, but, uh, anyways, I, that he's the reason why I started going back to church was because I ended up, uh, his grandparents were gone doing something and I ended up having to take him to church one night. And then I just started going after that. And, uh, I really saw God in a different way after that. But when I was strung out to pretend it didn't exist, I tried to tell myself, you know, God's not real. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but always deep down, I always knew, and I've always felt him no matter what stage of life I've been in, I've always felt that God was real, even if I tried to deny it. Yeah. Wow. So then um, what's happened between um, that time of like, like that hunger of wanting to go be at church all the time and where you're at now? (sighs) Well, I know it started to definitely cause problems in my relationship with my boyfriend at the time because he was agnostic and he didn't believe and I would suggest to any of the listeners don't be unequally yoked it's not very easy um and uh boyfriend whose mom whose mom was a devout Christian he was agnostic. right right I'm pretty sure that he had been hurt by a church member or something and he was just running from God but like trying to pretend that God didn't exist just like I did. But, um, in the end I ended up leaving him because it felt as though he was coming in between me and God. And he really was trying to, cause he even said one day, he's like, I don't want you to love something that doesn't exist more than you love me. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up leaving him. So I could, and not only that, it, it was an extremely unhealthy relationship like the most abusive relationship I've ever been with been in in my entire life uh he was constantly drinking um yeah it there was a lot of domestic violence and I just I I just got tired of it and was like I'm gonna end up going to prison one day 
one night because I'm defending myself and accidentally kill him or something. So I just left and started to try to focus more on my relationship with, with God and my church and um, my dear friend, April Metzler and uh, a few other church members. I don't know if they're okay with me mentioning their names, but so I'm not going to say them, but uh, they all kind of band together and helped me get out of there. April helped me pack my bags and her and her husband, Joe, uh, showed up and yeah, they helped me pack my bags, helped me leave. And then I got baptized after that. I, I ended up getting a trailer of my own and got baptized shortly after I left him. And, uh, then my second stepdad died and I kind of went downhill again. Um, I ended up getting, uh, strung out again, but not for very long, like just a short amount of time, like maybe a week. And I was like, all right, that's it. I'm, I'm not doing this crap again. I'm not letting this get a hold of me again and have control over my life it did before. And I walked away from it and then that was the last time I'd ever done it. Wow. Uh, yeah. And so I've, I've been, I've been pretty close to God pretty much ever since I started going to Inola Christian church. Um, but I did get angry after my stepdad died. I kind of got angry at God. I was like, God, you could have healed him and from the cancer and, um, and I, I was mad. I was really mad at God. Um, but, uh, and even my mom, I feel like she was mad at God too. Uh, and I, I really didn't have a close relationship with him. So there wasn't really when he died, there wasn't any like closure, you know, uh, I had wanted to try to be close to him and I didn't get the chance and it just kind of, it just kind of crushed me and it still kind of does. Um, I'm trying not to cry right now. Uh, I really connected with the Tori <laughs> in her episodes. Um, but yeah. And, and you said until now, so that's a whole lot of stuff in between then and now, because that was like a, a well, long time. Let's pause there for a quick second. How did that wrestling with God work out? I mean, you said that you were strung out for a while. Did you Did you come to some sort of terms with God as far as like the fact that he allowed your stepdad to die? What? Um, how did that work out for you? Um, you know, I think my mom said that it was probably a good thing that God took him when he did, because he was ready. His soul was right with God at the time. And that maybe if he had been healed, if God would have healed him, he would have went on to not be close to God anymore and like lose his salvation. So God took him when he was ready and not only at that time did my stepdad die but I'd lost an uncle 
like a, a week before my stepdad died, uh, one of my favorite uncles. And then my stepdad died. And then three days after we buried my stepdad, uh, three days after we buried my step, my uncle Mike found out he had pancreatic cancer. Yeah, so it was all just like, boom, boom, boom. And uh, anyways, it, the family was pretty, everyone was pretty heartbroken for a while. And my uncle really did die of pancreatic cancer. But I know where he went. We know he went to heaven. He was right with Jesus. And he loved, before he died or before he got really bad, he really loved to smile like I tried to sit down and talk to him and like he was so quick to smile about anything I, I I'll never forget that the last time I seen him um anyways <laughs> uh so um you've you've had two little boys tell me about about that my boys okay uh well, I got pregnant with my son when I was like 28 and um, everything was going good in the pregnancy and then uh, ended up going on like this bumpy ride one night, like me and my boyfriend at the time, we got lost in these, up in this trailer park that was like really hilly and like there had been no work done on any of the pavement like and there was these big holes and like he was going really fast trying to get trying to figure to get us out of there and just kept hitting these big holes and like even one of them made me like bounce way up off the seat back down and then the next day I started bleeding and this bleeding I'm sorry if it bothers anyone to say this, but uh, to hear this, but um, the the bleeding went on for about four weeks without any explanation from my OB. And uh, finally I got tired of my OB not really caring about the situation and not really giving me any answers, not, give, not calling me back. Um, so I finally switched OBs and she found the problem. It was a subcrook chorionic hemorrhage and uh the subchorionic hemorrhage ended up making my water break early at 20 weeks oh, wow. and yeah so my water broke um I went to the hospital uh they said my water had broken that the baby would be coming within the next 72 hours and um at 20 weeks yes and the frightening thing, the most frightening thing about being 20 weeks along is that when you have a problem like that, if you're before 23, 24 weeks, the hospitals won't try to save your baby. They will lay your baby on your chest. They will lay your baby on your chest and just let the baby, let you hold the baby until it dies. So um, my whole family prayed very super hard uh you were saying that one of the hardest things is if your baby's born at 20 weeks um the hospital won't do anything they'll just put the baby on your chest and and let your baby die so 
Um, so you said a bunch of people were praying. Tell me what happened next. Um, well, my whole family was praying. Um, my, I was praying and I was very heartbroken. And your I whole family wanted, was praying too. Yes. My whole, well, my whole mother's side anyways, they're all believers. And, um, I think so on my dad, my biological father's side, I think they're believers too. But, um, anyways, uh, my mom's side is a side I'm closest to, <clears throat> and they were all praying super hard. We were put on prayer lists all over, um, Facebook, you know, added to prayer. I had my church praying. I had, uh, yeah, I had a lot of people praying for us and, um, the, the power of prayer is a very real thing. Um, I can just remember laying there in the hospital bed, uh, being hooked up to this monitor that was monitoring Donald's heart rate and, uh, and monitoring contractions. And uh, I never went into labor. They, they laid me where my feet were up higher than my head which was very uncomfortable, hard to eat like that. Um, and uh, I laid there for four days. Like we kept thinking, the first 24 hours though, I was just like devastated. But I can remember trying to record my son's heartbeat because I didn't know if it was gonna be the last time I was gonna hear it. Mm -hmm. And um, uh the doctors came in and they said, you know, you hear that baby's heartbeat as, as that baby's heart is beating, we're going to fight for this baby's life. And so they had me on my head to keep pressure off my cervix and keep me from going into labor. And I think it worked. Wow. <laughs> I, uh, I laid there like that for four days and then got transferred to a bigger hospital in Tulsa, St. John's. And, uh, um, when I got there, they were, they were like letting me sit up and I was like, what? You're gonna let me sit up? Oh my gosh, I can sit up and get up and go to the bathroom. And they're like, yeah, if the baby's gonna come, it's gonna come no matter if you're laying on your head or not. And I was like, so relieved because I could, I don't think I would have, Hannity would have lasted laying like that. Oh man, it was awful. But um, so, I stayed pregnant, stayed in the hospital with no fluid uh, for um, five weeks. And during that time, it was, it was definitely, I was still close to God at that time. I was very close to God and, but it was a mental struggle every day to try to stay positive and try to not let, you know, not let negativity in in any way and to be trying to speak life and um, claim, claim the life of my baby, you know, in the name of Jesus, you know, I claim my baby's life. Um, and it was very, um, it was very hard. Uh, I can't really look at people would bring me stuff and, uh, coloring books and color pencils and activity things. And after he finally came, I couldn't look at any of it. I couldn't anything from being in that room 
just setting, wondering is if my baby was going to make it or not. Um, it was pretty, it, it, I couldn't, I can't look at it. I can't, I even kept a little journal and I, I can't even open it up and read some of the pages. I'm afraid to, mm -hmm. uh, I think I almost lost my sanity in that room <laughs> to be quite honest. Um, but, uh, one night I, uh, his heart rate kept dropping. And so they went on ahead and took him by C-section because a infection had sent, had been, was making my uterus contract. So he was doing good in the NICU the first three days. And then all of a sudden he had a hole in his lung and his, uh, his, um, doctor one day said that, well, they, we, he got the part with the holes in the lungs. He had like two different times he had a hole in his lung. He had like his lungs were seeping or leaking air. So they had like a chest tube draining the extra air off of his chest cavity. And it was just really, really hard seeing him like that and going through the NICU struggle. And, and any NICU mom totally understands this. And uh, it's a roller coaster. You some days your baby will be doing good and then you'll come in the next day and your baby has taken three steps back and uh it was rough um at one day we got the call that um listen here if his lungs don't open up like they need to he's not gonna make it much longer and uh so once again my whole family came we all prayed everyone came up and prayed over him and uh we had more people praying i was asking for prayers almost every day on social media but especially on the bad days i would ask for prayers two or three times a day um and the people that said they're praying for me i'll never i'll never forget that support I'll always be grateful to the ones that were that were there and that were praying um he made it. They tried this steroid that worked. We prayed that the steroid would work and it did. It opened his lungs up the way they needed to be. Uh, and uh, he finally made it and he made it out of the NICU and he'd be sick there and have pneumonia and we'd have to stay in the hospital uh, with, with babies with lung problems. They, they catch pneumonia real easy. And, uh, so we've been in and out of the hospital a whole lot. And, uh, but last year was the worst hospital visit, I would have to say, of them all. At, at January 1st, we went in uh, 2020 for, because he sounded snotty. And I was like- Is this January 2020? Yeah, January 2020. He sounded mucusy, and uh, I was like, uh-oh, that's not good. So I brought him in, and he had no virus. And I was like, ooh, we need to be in. Sorry, Tasha, it cut out a little bit there. What did he have? He had rhinovirus, and um, he we ha I had them admit us because they were just going to send us home from the ER, and I was like, uh, no, he needs to be admitted. And it was probably a good thing we did because by then he was like already uh, needing, like he started off 
he was he was still on oxygen at home so he started off by the end of that day needing like three times more support than he began the day with uh so anyways he was somehow he caught flu and pneumonia i think the pneumonia was caused from all the mucus but he caught flu on top of it all and and uh his lungs just got really bad, really, really bad. It was like he went from bad to worse to worse to just awful to, uh, okay, now we're going to, it was like every day they were putting, they were doing more to help with his breathing, like giving him more support. And um, he ended up being put on a ventilator and uh, he ended up staying on that vent for almost, I want to say like two months. Uh, and um, his, he was slowly starting to suffocate, like slowly. Uh, it, it all kind of runs together for me. Uh, but the doctors for like three or four days, they were coming in saying, um, we're sorry, there's nothing else we can do. Uh, We've already done everything we can. Um, and they would try switching him back from the conventional ventilator to a some other kind of ventilator. Because um, one was making his lungs expand way too far down. Um, and they were like about to pop like a big balloon. And another one wasn't give, I don't know. It was, they were switching back and forth, trying to do what they could to keep him oxygenated the way he did to be. Uh, but eventually, uh, I woke up one day and I looked at him and I looked at his numbers and they were just, they were getting lower. His oxygen saturation was getting lower by the day. And one morning I just had the feeling I'm, I was like, he's not going to last much longer like this. And I knew it. And again a family up there and uh i i started to think you know i i think spiritual attack here my son's being spiritually attacked the enemy's trying to take him from me see i'm trying not to start bawling <laughs> The enemy's trying to take him from me. And I knew it. And I said, I said, God, if you take him, I won't be happy, but I will still serve you. I still choose to worship you. And I told God that. And I let the enemy know that no matter what he did, he wasn't going to break my faith. That taking my child was not going to break my faith. And... I, uh, I felt like he might have something attacking him spiritually. So I got him baptized in the name of the Father and in the Holy Spirit. And um, for that, you know, in, in the PICU, they were only allowing like two people in his room. But for the baptism, my whole family and uh, plus some of his uh, father's family was able to be there. and 
it was a room full of people praying over the baby and we got him baptized and um uh somehow somebody mentioned ecmo therapy because i started saying we need a way to bypass his lungs until they can heal and because it was lung damage you know and uh somehow ecmo therapy came up and i i asked the the medical director uh if we could try it and he said he'd have to run some tests so you know the day that i thought was the last 24 hours i could be spending with my child they kept me away the entire day I was in waiting rooms just rocking back and forth with family around me like unable to breathe it was a pretty pretty traumatic experience but um anyways they got him hooked up to this machine that uh i felt like i'd walked into my own personal scary show like scary movie uh my son's blood was all over that room it was there was like this light on the ceiling that had like a green handle on it and it had his blood on that uh he was he had these two tubes coming out of his neck that had been sutured to the back of his neck uh where there was blood coming out of one going into this machine and getting oxygen put into it and then getting it put back into his body through the other tube so there'd be like this dark blood coming out of one tube and bright red blood going into the other and uh he was doing better his numbers were a lot better but somehow the can the cannulas weren't in his neck correctly or something so they had to do the exact same surgery 24 hours later wow. right which it worked and then uh he started to get a little better and then all of a sudden he started getting worse again and uh the metal the medical director over the PICU did a bronchoscopy on him and sucked out like a whole bunch of blood and fluid out of his lungs and he just started getting better after that your son went through a lot right and you did too um how did that impact your faith I think it made my faith a lot stronger because in the whole time I just had this peace that God was going to heal him. And the medical director was like, I can't heal him. And I was like, I know you can't, but God can. God will heal him. You watch, God will heal him. He had a 20% chance of surviving. And I said, that's okay. We survived with less because when my water broke, he had 5% chance. And I knew he was going to make it. I just knew that it was going to be hard and that it was going to look like that. I just knew that, that he was going to, but the enemy was trying to make it look like he wasn't. Yeah. But at one point you told God, if you take him, I'm right. still going to worship you. If you so, go ahead and take him yeah. to heaven. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, you've had an incredible story. I mean, you've been through a lot. Yeah. Uh, a lot. <laughs> um, 
what is your faith like now? Do you feel like it's stronger than yeah. ever? Or yeah, I do yeah. because you know, you know that song "Evidence," <laughs> that new one. I can't remember who sings it, but it's a Christian song, and uh, it's like, "Why should I fear? The evidence is here." Um. Anyways, every time I sing that song, I just look at my son and I think, yeah, why should I fear? The evidence is here that, you know, God's going to take care of me. And so now when a, a problem comes up or I need, I'm in need of something, I just say, God, I know that you're going to provide this. And I just thank you for it right now. I just thank you that uh, yeah. this need that I have is going to be met you know, that the bills are going to be paid. Uh, and my son's going to, my children are going to get what they need. So all that said, you still do have some faith questions and they're good ones. We, I'll, I'll just ask you about them. Okay, go ahead. Um, the first one, and I think it's a big question is, can I truly believe the Bible? Tell me about that question. Well, I just, I don't know. <sighs> you know, people suffer because of God gave us free will. Well, one of my biggest questions has always been what's to stop man's free will from putting the wrong books into the Bible. Um, you know, he can't control us. So how can he stop the wrong books from getting in there? And I've tried to dive into it a little bit and I'm, even got more questions now after that one. Uh, I tried to do some more research yesterday um, and now I have even more questions because apparently some of these older Bibles that are floating around out there have a lot more books than what the Protestant Bible that we use nowadays has. Uh, there's like these ancient Bibles that have a lot more books and they're written in ancient languages that are not spoke anymore but uh I don't know I just I really want to learn more about them and learn what those books were what was in them and I feel and I have heard that the Catholic Church has taken some books out also um but they also have the Apocrypha in their Bible so I'm kind of curious like what's what does the Apocrypha say? What's in that? Um, but yeah, anyways, so now I've got more questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think those are great questions. You know, what, why are the, you know, Catholic and Protestant Bibles different? And how can we trust the Bible? I think those are two separate, but very important questions. Right. Um, and really impact our faith. So I'm excited to have people on that can talk with us about that. And then um, the other one that I thought was really interesting that you asked is, why celebrate Christmas or Easter? Tell me about that question. Um, I've just done some research on it. I, I didn't do any on, I haven't done that much on Easter, but like, uh, I know Easter is celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, but um, as Easter apparently comes from like some goddess called Estar or whatever she's called and she like came down to earth from a different planet in an egg and like the the bunny and the egg are like signs of fertility and like that has nothing to do with Jesus 
or his resurrection. And, you know, on Easter, you say happy resurrection day to somebody and it makes them mad if you don't say happy Easter. Like, okay, we are celebrating Jesus here. What, what does this bunny have to do with it? Why, why do these old ancient like pagan traditions or whatever it is, what does that have to do with my Jesus? You know, and why do we have to have it on the same day? Like Christmas, Christmas is the same day as a bunch of other gods. Um, the Saturnalia or, uh, yeah, what's it called? It's like the, the festival of the God Saturn. Like, um, why, why do we have to celebrate Jesus birthday on those days and do the same traditions that they did for the God Saturn? Like the, uh, like the evergreens and spreading ever branches of evergreen around your house and the, the Christmas tree, it's like, it's supposed to be like represent, um, the rebirth of Nimrod. It has nothing to do with Jesus. Hmm. So why celebrate it? So your question is um, not necessarily why are we celebrating Jesus's birth and Jesus's resurrection, but why are we adding these pagan elements into our faith traditions? Is that kind of what you're asking? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Like it seems like they took like a wolf and put sheep's clothing on over it. And now, now we all just pet the sheep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we can talk about that. I think those are great questions, especially as the holidays are coming up. You know, it's interesting to kind of explore that. Right. For sure. So um, have you ever wondered about it or have you known anything about it? Yeah. Well, um, normally during this conversation, I don't share a lot of my personal um, opinions about stuff, but I will say I have explored it a little bit um, and it is interesting. Um, but I'm excited to hear from somebody who's an expert in studying those things. Um, I, yeah. I, I wonder if I'm Alan to, knows. If Alan knows? Alan uh, Crostick? Yeah. Oh, you like him? I could probably get him to come on and talk with us. <laughs> yeah, that would be good. Yeah. He seems to know a lot about history. Yeah, he's great. I, I'll reach out to him and ask him. He'd research it for sure uh, if you didn't already. <laughs> But let's have somebody on to talk to us about it. That would be good. And then, um, yeah, in the meantime, I was thinking as you were sharing your story, um, there's this great movie. Have you watched The Case for Christ? Have you yes. Watched that? Okay. I love Absolutely. that movie. Yeah. It's um, a great movie. Yeah. And I think Lee Strobel has a book um, that's maybe the case for, I don't know if he has the case for the Bible, but... Um, I love Lee Strobel because he's, you know, a former journalist, but he also talks in such a way that's approachable for people, you know, it's for anybody. So he has the case for the creator, the case for Christ. And I think oh, really? he might have one for, yeah. So um, I would just encourage you to maybe read one of his books during this journey, um, because I know that when we we research things, we live in a day and age where we can research anything just by using Google. Um, and sometimes the first things that pop up are not things that have been filtered through, um, 
you know, a lens that's um, centered on Christ <laughs> at all. Right, and so right. it might be good to to look into that a little bit. And if I find a resource, I'll send it to you as well. And I, what I love to do when I have really hard faith questions sometimes is I'll go to YouTube and I'll look up somebody that I already trust. So somebody like Lee Strobel. Um, I used to look up Ravi Zacharias and he's since had a major falling from grace, but a lot of his stuff is still right on. But uh, I'll look up people that I already trust and then I'll, I'll search the question. And then so often I'll find, you know, that response to it. Another great one is Sean McDowell. Um, and he's Josh McDowell's son. So anyway, yes, I will send you some of these names. So that way, next time you're doing your Google search, you could type in their name with it and see if they've responded to some of these questions. Okay. Because the questions you're asking are not new questions, right? They're questions that people have asked many, many, many times. Right. Um, like I said, we live in a time and place where we can, anyone can have an opinion on anything. Um, so it's nice to know, um, you know, some people that you already trust and their biblical worldview. So Tasha, I'm excited. What do you hope to get from this um, co-hosting gig situation? I hope to uh, finally be able to know if I can trust the Bible <laughs> and to hopefully help other people with my life and my experiences and my testimony, my son's testimony. Uh, I just hope to help build up others' faith. I love that. And also, like, you know, trusting the Bible, that's so important to our faith, you know. So I love that you're exploring that and willing to. So often I think we hide the hard questions because we're afraid of what people might think if they knew, you know, that we were really struggling with this major issue or whatever it is. But right. it's good to address them. It's good to say, hey, no, actually, I'm, I'm struggling with this. Can you can we talk about it? So I love that you're open and willing to talk about something like that because it allows other people to learn through the journey. So Right. Yeah. Anyway, Tasha, I know you're a busy mom. I know you have a baby sleeping right there next to you and you've gotten a bunch of phone calls while we've been on the phone. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but um, thank you so much. I'm excited for this. Uh Friend, if you're listening right now, stay tuned for the rest of this month. I'm really excited for Tasha and I as we go through this journey together. And uh, I can't wait to explore these topics with her and with you listening. So until next time. Thank you for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This season, we are inviting co-hosts to join me to share their personal stories and to ask their honest questions about the Christian faith. Each month, we hope to feature a different co-host and together invite guests on to share from their own faith journeys and experiences. Friend, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is still in the restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love business. I know not everyone has experienced that, but if you're curious at all about what's so great about Jesus, I hope you come back next week 
as we continue on a journey towards finding something real in relationship with Him. Until next time.